Hello and good morning, Mercy Hill Church. How are we doing? How are we doing towards the end of 2021? This is the last Mercy Hill Church of our inaugural semester, our inaugural season. I think that deserves a little hand clap. A little hand clap. And, you know, I get to take it. I get to take us home. I get to take us all the way back. We started, for those of y'all who don't know me, my name is Dylan Gilbert, and I'm on staff with Mercy Hill. I'm actually focused on Salt Company. If y'all haven't heard of Salt Company yet, if you are a college student, come check us out. We meet in the same exact spot every Thursday, as long as school's in session, every Thursday night at 8 p.m. So we'll be kicking off, I believe, January 13th. Somebody can fact check me for that. But yes, January 13th, Salt Company will be back in action And just like what the Lord's been doing with Mercy Hill, the Lord's been doing some incredible work with Salt Company as well. I know I'm I'm a little biased, I'm a little selfish because I work for the college ministry, but the Lord has been able to use this church to save about seven college students already, just in the first few months. And and that's all glory to be to God, right? It's just like the songs we were talking about. Um, Well, like I said, I'm going to be taking us home. We've been in a three-part series called Walk. Yep, super creative name right? Um, I actually really like it because I feel like I'm a pretty practical person. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about. How do we walk as followers of Jesus Christ? And so the first week, Ernie spoke about walking in love. We love because Christ loved first. Guys, Jesus Christ loved us so much that he would actually lay down his life on the cross for our sins and that we are called to imitate that love. And so that's what Ernie spoke on, walking in love. Last week, Tim spoke on walking in light, and that at one time we were darkness. Not only were we in darkness, but as children of wrath, as I'm going to talk about briefly in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we were actually destined for an eternal darkness because of our disobedience. But because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from that, he turned us from darkness into light. And as believers, we're called to walk in that light. And now I get to finish this up we're talking about walking in wisdom and what that looks like. And, you know, obviously they got the youngest guy on staff to talk about wisdom. And so I feel honored by that because clearly I am not the wisest in the room. But thank God it's not going to be Dylan Gilbert's words. It's going to be the word of God. Amen. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, same here. Trust me. Um, oh, gosh. Anyways, uh, let's pray and then we'll dive in. Dear God, thank you for an opportunity. Uh, yeah, just, just to have me come up here and, and share your word. Yeah, not to us, but to your name. We, we want to give you all praise like that song said. And Lord, as we open up the word of God, we, I pray that it wouldn't be my words, it would be yours. Um, and that there would be light, love, and, and wisdom um, in Mercy Hill Church. And, and that we would take it to the ends of the earth for your name. We love you, Lord. Amen. So before we dive into this passage, um, I do have a disclaimer. Because... This is such a practical passage. I think it's very easy for us as believers to go, okay, what do I have to do now? Like, that's, that's, what, that's what we're going to be learning. Because of what Christ has done, what do I have to do? But I, I need to disclaim this because if you don't get that first part, we are going to be, our church is going to fall into a legalistic or moralistic kind of, of club, right? What do we have to do now? It's no, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now we walk as believers. That's what Paul is explaining in the first three chapters of the, of the letter to the Ephesian church. And so even if you want to flip over with me to Ephesians now, 
Before we even get into my passage in chapter 5, flip over a couple chapters back to uh, chapter 2. Because if we don't understand this, we're not going to get anywhere. It starts uh, chapter 2 verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, it says the, the fourth word in that first verse says, and you were dead. Dead people can't do anything, okay? So unless there is an act of God, we are dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked. Adjust this real quick, excuse me. But in verse four, it says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Because of Christ's death on the cross for our sins, because of our disobedient actions, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we would still be dead. And so hear me out. If you don't hear anything else, you could literally cut the recording right there because if it's not about what Christ, if Christ hadn't died on the cross for us, we would be in the same space. And so as we walk through these very practical steps of how we walk as children of God, remember that we get to do these things because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I've been talking about walking a lot. I'm trying to think about, man, what are some of those people that I grew up watching on television, maybe pop culture, artists, soldiers, athletes, that I really remember their walk? And so I thought about three different categories in my mind. The first one, I think about Usain Bolt. I don't know if any of you guys watched the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. I was like 14 at the time when I watched it, but... Okay, Tyson Gay was like my favorite athlete. He's the fastest man on earth at the time. And then I see this Jamaican guy come out of nowhere, a foot taller than everybody else. He had chains around his neck. He had this smile and he's just walking up to the blocks. And I'm like, oh, I think my man's going to get whooped. And he did. Okay, Usain Bolt beat him. And it was that walk that I will never forget. I'm sure Tyson Gay never forgot it either. The second one, I think about MC Hammer, 1990, can't touch this. Okay, it's like... 32 years ago now, and that little crab walk he did, I mean, he's still making, he's still making can't touch this money. I don't think even, I think he had too legit to quit, but I think there's like his only two like actual songs. He's still making can't touch this money. That's a walk that is iconic and that we will always, we will know exactly what that is. Then I think about when I was in middle school, I went to Washington DC on like a junior high trip. And I remember going to the tomb of the unknown soldier and seeing those soldiers, if y'all have ever been there, the walk, I don't even want to give an example of it because, man, that walk right there, the service members, it was with poise as they held their rifle, their faces were set, they had like a, like they were perfect down to the, down to the timing of when they turned. And that walk was clearly honor of the country, poise. And, and a lot of intimidation. Like you, did, you do not speak around the tomb of the unknown soldier. You don't step out of line because it's out of honor of our country. And that was the walk that, I mean, I will never forget that going, going, wow, those, those men and women are serious. So as believers, why, why, are, why, why are our walks so important? It's because, and, and I, I kind of coined this, <laughs> it says that people will read the Bible of your life before they read anything else. 
So what does that mean? Well, just think about it, guys. A lot of us, most of us already have, a lot of us are going back home for the holidays, right? Our families, they're going to see they're going to see the Bible of our lives. They're going to read the book of our lives before, if they are non-believers, before they ever open up the Word of God. Our, our children, if we have kids in a room, our coworkers, our classmates, if you're a student, like, they are going to open up your, your book. They're going to open up the Bible of your life, and then they're going to deduce what they think about Jesus Christ based on how we walk. Again, this isn't, now we have to act perfect. Remember, it's what Jesus Christ has done. That is how, now, now, now what do we get to do? But this is why our walk is so important as believers. And so that's something that I want to really focus on um, as we keep, continue on in this message. Um, I have one more example. I'm a bit of a history junkie. And so uh, I love like cultural, like international history. So like how different cultures interact with one another. And there's this quote I found um, J, Dr. J.H. Holmes, who's this professor of philosophy at Swarthmore College in England. Mm, Swarthmore, with pinkies up. Um, he was professor of philosophy. He took a world tour of the British Empire at the time. So England was not just a tiny island at the time. They had like a huge empire. And so he got to travel all the way to India in 1927. And he got to interview this guy named Mahatma Gandhi, if any of y'all have heard of him. He's extremely famous Indian rights activist, right? I'm sure all of us have heard of Gandhi. So he got to interview him. Now, England at the time was basing themselves as a Christian country, a Christian empire to the entire world. And this is what Gandhi said about Christianity. He said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. The Christians above all others are seeking after wealth Their aim is to be rich at the expense of their neighbors. They come among aliens to exploit them for their own good, and they cheat them to do so. Their prosperity is far more essential to them than the life, the liberty, and the happiness of others. The Christians are the most warlike people. That's what he said about the faith that we we believe in. And I don't say this to scare you guys, but it, it's one of those things of, okay, the light that we're holding, the gospel, are we, actually, are we actually walking? Because he read the Bible of the people, of the English people around him's life, and that's what he deduced. And so Mercy Hill Church, as we walk in, I have this question for you. If we are not walking any different from the world around us, in light and love and, and in wisdom, as we're going to talk about, then why would anyone want to know Christ? So let's open up the word. We're going to start in Ephesians 5, 15, and we're going to see what it says. For those of y'all that have the blue Bibles, it is page 569. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's look just in the very first word of that very first verse. 
It says, look. Y'all, how important is the, that word look in that verse? It is so important. What it's saying is examine. Look carefully then, not at how other people walk. It says, look carefully at how you walk. This is an introspective ask that Paul is saying. Look carefully then how you walk. And I have to ask that question too. As we've taken time, uh, as we take time um, in the holidays, will you take time to actually think about how am I actually walking? I think personally, it's so easy to, to look and see how other people are walking and base a lot of my judgments or, man, I'm better than this person. I'm better than this person. But that's one of my first questions for us is, have you ever stopped to look and go, how am I actually walking? You know, maybe this is a really good season as, as hopefully we get to slow down a little bit. Maybe you can ask your spouse if you're married, how am I walking? Am I walking in a way that's honoring Christ? You can ask your roommates. You can ask your parents when you go back home. Like, how am I walking? Am I walking in a way that's honoring the Lord? And Lord willing, they will have the love of Christ and the light of Christ to be able to shine maybe in those areas where you're not and then it, you know, encourage you in the areas that you are. Another word in a different translation that I found, it says, walk circumspectly. Now that's a word I don't think I've ever heard in the English dictionary before, but it kind of comes from the same like, circumference, that same root word. I thought about when I was in junior high, another junior high story, I was second string middle linebacker, okay? All right, so that was when I was really jacked back in, the, back in junior high. No, just kidding. It was my, it, yeah, it was second string. I didn't really play that much. And uh, yeah, middle linebacker, middle of the field. And my coach always told me, he said, keep your head on a swivel. Keep your head on a swivel. And I'm like, okay, coach. And uh, the, the quarterback threw a pass. And the cornerback, the guy on the other side of the field on defense, he intercepted it. And we're running down the field. It looks like he's going to take it all the way to the end zone. And so, I mean, I made my block and I'm running. I'm feeling like, yes, like we just scored. And I let my guard down. And one of the offensive linemen just absolutely just obliterated me, just, just, just destroyed me. The next thing I remember, I was sitting on the bench looking at my helmet. I have no idea how I got there, but I do know that I got practically knocked out and I blacked out for some amount of time. I can't even remember. And what I, what I mean to have that example is my head was not on a swivel. I'm not walking. I was not running. I was not walking circumspectly. And because of that, I got knocked over. Um, the point there is that we are God's workmanship. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And remember, we don't do things because that we have to stay believers or ways that we become believers. But if we are God's workmanship, a compromised life is a bad reflection of ourselves and our church family into our Lord, to the watching world. That's what Gandhi thought. That's, and we've seen it happen in, in churches over and over again, where we've stopped looking circumspectly. We stopped keeping our head on a swivel and we've been knocked over. Our goal here is to live with purpose, not pointlessness. So if you continue on in verse 16, it says this. So it says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Now, I find this so funny because I just thought for sure, like the 21st century, we, may, we waste so much time, you know, on Netflix or at work or whatever, whatever it might be. But Paul wrote this like almost 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, make the best use of your time. 
what that means is that wasting time is not like a Gen Z issue or like a millennials issue. But I think this is like a human issue, wasting time. Like the church in Ephesus clearly had a problem with it. And I did a little bit of research. Um, I found a couple business publications. They, they came out with a survey and they said that office workers, now I'm picking on office workers for a second. On average, they waste two to three hours a day at work. That's like, it's a lot. It's, it's like 30% of your day being wasted. Now that is an anonymous survey. And I know it picked on office workers, but I used to work construction for a little bit. And trust me, there was some guys that definitely wasted two to three hours per day. I, used, I worked as a supervisor's assistant um, a couple years ago. And uh, the supervisor would always point to guys. And, and he was this funny guy. But he always go, always go, hey, Dylan, you, you see that guy over there? I say, yeah. He said, he's not afraid of hard work. And I say, really, Don? He's not? He said, no, he'd fall down asleep right next to it and just let it go on by. And he's not even scared of it. And uh, I thought that was so funny. But guys, we waste time. It's a human issue. That is an unwise way to steward what God has given us. Wasting time is a human issue. We also know that with all of our technology, with our easy modes of transportation, our ways to get around, our ways to communicate, our ways to make money through technology and whatever else in this century, that we can also overwork. And that's another way that we cannot make the best use of our time. So that's a human issue as well, wasting our time and overwork. And why is this such a big deal? It's because of the second part of that verse. It says this, because the days are evil. That's kind of an interesting phrase. Like the day itself, like our 24-hour day, like all the clocks are evil. Like what does that mean? Well, I go back to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 a lot. So just, just keep your thumb on it. But it says at the beginning of that verse, it says, in verse 2, it says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. What it's saying there is that yes, the days are evil because there is an evil force that is driving humanity right now. It, it, the course of this world, like I think about a current, like have you ever tried to swim upstream? It's really hard. There's a current pulling the water one way. The prince of the power of the air, that's the devil himself. He is controlling this world. And so if we're not walking circumspectly, if we're not walking wise, we're walking foolishly, it will be so easy for us as believers to be, to be drug away. I don't know if you guys have ever gone to the beach and you're playing in the water and maybe 20 minutes go by and you look and, and like your house that you're staying at is like 200 yards away. It's because you've been drifting the course of the ocean. And in this case, the course of this world will, will pull you away. So what can we do about that? Well, Paul is in his super great artistic poetic words. This is what we can do about that in verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish. Thanks, Paul. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay. Very direct there. Very helpful. Well, a great way to not be foolish is to not be foolish, Paul. Well, what does foolishness actually mean? Now, in the Bible, it actually speaks a lot about foolish living. Um, so the dictionary, I just you look it up. It says that foolishness is lacking judgment or sense. So I have a I have a number of verses that are going to come up on the screen, and uh, y'all can write them down, fact check me. Um, but I kind of paraphrased each one, and th- this is some things that they say in these different verses about the fools. It says that the fool 
And Proverbs 1.7 says, the fool does not want to be told how to live. That's how the fool lives. Doesn't want to be told how to live. Proverbs 12.15 says this, that the fool always thinks that they are right. Proverbs 18.2, the fool cares more about their own opinion. They're going to disregard yours. Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Okay, <laughs> that's a fool. Now there are dozens of other examples in the Proverbs and the Psalms and other, other parts of scripture where it talks about like what a fool looks like, how he or she acts. But I think that Psalm 14.1 is the most helpful. And I think this wraps up so much about what a fool looks like. Psalm 14.1 if y'all can flip to me, if not, it's, it's literally one verse, but it's on page 257 in the blue Bible. But it says this, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. I think that when, when it says the fool says that there is no God, the first thing I can think of is that that takes me all the way back to the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were in there and they, they had everything they needed provided for them. And God asked them to, to not do one thing. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they became foolish. They did the one thing that God asked them not to do. Eve took the fruit. Adam ate the fruit. They both hid. They both lied. They both blamed each other. They were acting like fools. And so that is the way of the fool. Ultimately, when we act foolish, Mercy Hill, we are saying in our hearts that there is no God. Now, again, we cannot lose salvation. Salvation has been made known to us as believers in this room. But when we are acting foolish, deep down, it's that seed of, man, I know it's better than God. And that is the way of the fool. Now, there's a second part to Ephesians 5.17. Um, let me flip back over to it. Okay, so it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is a pretty, you know, at face value, it's, it's not a very helpful verse. It says, don't be foolish and then understand what the will of God is. Okay, great. That's really helpful. No, actually, the word of God actually speaks a lot about what God's will is as well. So when it says, don't be foolish, but instead find out what God's will is. So if we're desiring to be wise, if we're desiring to walk in wisdom, we need to see what the opposite of being foolish is. And that is understanding God's will. And that is walking in God's will. Mercy Hill, that's what being wise, that's what growing in wisdom looks like, is understanding God's will. And so that's what the rest of this passage is going to be talking about. And this is kind of more of the fun stuff. Um, at least I think so. So I'm going to have a couple more references up through scripture. Please jot them down. Fact check me. But this is some of the will of God. Okay, you ready for this? It's pretty exciting. This is going to be what the will of God is. There's a little bit more, but these are some that I picked up. And I need to disclaim it real quick too. This isn't like, what is your personal will, God, for my life? What is your personal will, God, for my life? This is God's overarching desire for all that call upon his name. Ooh, sorry, it's a bug. There's, yeah, God's overarching desire for all that call upon his name. This is his will. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4, this is his will. He desires that all, to be, all be saved and come to a knowledge of him. That is God's will, 
that he, he, his hope, his will is that all would come to a knowledge of him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 9. That's an incredible verse, I would, passage. I would definitely ask y'all to read it. But what he is saying is God's will for our lives, for his believers, is our sanctification. What that is, he, he desires that we look more like Christ each and every day. That's God's will for our, for our life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. God's will is that we would give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for our life, regardless of situations. And then I love this one. 1 Peter 2.15, God's will is that we would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <laughs> I love that. God, God created us as his craftsmanship, as his workmanship. His desire is not that foolishness would reign, but his desire is that we would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, not by our own knowledge in the flesh, but because of our knowledge of the Father, of his heavenly wisdom that he's given to us, by his sanctification and by our desires becoming his desires. That's God's will for our life. Ultimately, God's will is for us to learn wisdom and for us to live it out. Continuing on in verse 18, another very direct statement. I think that it's, it's easy, you know, oh, like maybe Paul meant to say this, interpret this. Try to interpret this any other way than what he's saying. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, why is he telling us not to get drunk with wine? And I will say, he's not saying do not drink alcohol, okay? He's saying do not get drunk, do not get filled up with wine. Why is he saying that right after talking about wisdom? Because we become drunk. When we get drunk, we become like fools. We act like fools. We, we lose our witness to God's goodness to others. We lose the ability to do that. We lose our self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we lose the ability to, to share the gospel, literally share the gospel. I, I played water polo back in college and uh, I had a guy on my team. His name was Andreas. He was from Belgium, so that's why I spoke like that. He was this big guy, kind of hairy, kind of scary, um, but re- like really kind um, deep down. And Belgians like to drink beer. And so we went to a bar. And mind you, this is right after water polo practice. So like two hours, I don't know how many calories I burned, but like definitely needed some carbs in the system. But he wanted to go get a drink. And I went there, and he was an atheist. And so I was like, man, this is a great opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. I'll do it at this bar. Haven't had anything to drink. And I mean, haven't had anything to eat yet. And we, we sit down. He gives me a beer. I get a beer. We, drink, we have another one. And then by this time, like, I was like, I, there's no way I can share the gospel. I barely even remember the gospel because I have not had anything to eat. And like, I can't, I need to stay in the stool because if I step off of it, I might fall over. Like, I don't think I was necessarily acting like a fool, but my mind was, man, I have just lost my opportunity to witness to this guy <laughs> because, yeah, like I, I just missed my chance because the alcohol literally filled me up and I was not able to control myself. So I ordered some cheese fries and like I kind of calmed back down. But <laughs> the, point, the point there is like I lost an opportunity to share the gospel right there in that moment. We become like fools when we were drunk. But it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I, before I dive deeper into that, um, 
getting filled with the Spirit. I want to say too, it's not just getting drunk with wine that Paul is against. And this is a question I have for us, Mercy Hill. What are we filling ourselves with besides the Spirit? Maybe take some time over the next couple of weeks and think about that. What are some things that you run to to fill yourself up? doesn't have to be alcohol. I wrote a couple things. Well, I wrote a lot of things actually uh, because there is a lot. Um, I'll just list them out and then we'll keep going. We filling ourselves with entertainment, relationships, bank accounts, sexual pleasure, drugs, the praise of others, pride in our sports teams, our school grades, our stocks, our physical strength, our, our, our mental knowledge. I mean, it goes on and on. There's a lot more to that too. But what are we filling ourselves up with that we need to fill ourselves with the Spirit? Because if we're filling ourselves up with these things, ultimately we're going to be acting like fools. And we need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I've said that multiple times. What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the next three verses are going to have a really cool ba- breakdown of, okay, if you're being, being filled with the Spirit, this is what it looks like. Going towards the end of 18 uh, to the end. It says this, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The first thing that it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the wisdom of God, is worship. That is what a wise woman or man of Christ is going to be filled with, is worship. Psalm 100 speaks like this. He speaks on this and it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Now I want to say too, I love how it says, for multiple reasons, I love how it says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Because some of us, if it said singing and making melody to the Lord with your mouth, I think some of us would be in trouble, um, myself possibly included. Um, it says singing and making melody to the Lord with your, with your heart. So not just in the worship service, guys. Not just with your mouth. When, when, we, when the band comes up or the choir comes up, we start singing. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart means that the literal heartbeat of your life is worship to him regardless of what goes on, regardless of what situation you find yourself in. The next one, verse 19, excuse me, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A mark of a wise man or woman of Christ is a thankful heart. It's saying that God is in control and I can be glad. Worship and and gratefulness go hand in hand, and a thankful heart is one of those. Is the heartbeat of your life, believer, in this room, is it a thankful and grateful heart? Psalm Psalm 136 says this, and it says, Give thanks to the Lord all the earth, for his love endures forever. Is that a constant rhythm, gratefulness in your life? Maybe take some time the next couple weeks and reflect look circumspectly on your life and see, okay, do I have a grateful heart? Do I have a heart of worship? Ask those around you that you trust. Do you think that I have this? And finally, in the last verse, it says this. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A mark 
of a wise man or woman of God lives a life of mutual submission. Now, that's not a word that most of us enjoy, <laughs> submission. I think about tap out, like the like, like WWE SmackDown, like submit. Uh, that was not a great move. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> um, I think about mutual submission, church. And that's a tough word. Yeah, I think about SmackDown, think about WWE. We think about things that are negative when we think about submitting. Like, oh my gosh, I have to submit. And that makes sense because our culture right now has a very negative view of a, a body of people that live in submission to one another's. And unfortunately, for good reason, our church, not our church, but the church as a whole has actually done a really bad job with handling people that are submitting to one another. Um, and typically this happens with women, the elderly and children, where they are submitting to the authorities of others and and. And what, what submission is turned into is allowing for abuse and over-control. And that means that sin, foolishness, and a lot of people get hurt. And the name of God get, can, get, can get tarnished. So I want to say too, church, we're young, we're just a few months old, and we're coming on, you know, we're really excited. We have a lot of energy starting this new church in Cincinnati. But I will say that we are not, we are not away from this. We, we cannot say, oh, like that won't happen to Mercy Hill Church. You know, abuse or neglect or over control or some kind of sin within the body of Christ. Like we can't say, oh, that won't happen. So I want to say that as a challenge for us as a body of believers to walk and look at each other in a circumspective way to where we're encouraging each other, we're admonishing one another, and we're walking in the love, light, and wisdom of Christ, not only to ourselves, but to one another. So we can prevent this, that so we can make the gospel continue to grow in this city that we've been blessed with. Um, you got to ask yourself, well, if our, if our example is Christ, where do we see Christ submit, right? He's like the creator of the entire world. He's done all, he did all these miracles in, in, in the Bible. Like, why did, like, did he submit? And the answer is yes. Um, my last passage um, is in Matthew. It's page 486, but Matthew 26, 39. I'm just going to go to one verse, but this is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is the night that Jesus Christ is betrayed. This is the answer to the question, did Jesus ever submit? I'll, I'll, this, this is such a powerful verse. It says, in verse 39, he's in the garden and he's praying to God because he knows what's about to come. And he says, in going a little farther, he, Jesus, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus Christ had everything he needed in heaven. Perfect love, perfect acceptance, acceptance, and a perfect relationship with the Father. He submitted and made himself just like us. And now in this passage, he's going, God, if there is any other way for salvation, then show yourself right now. Let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the wrath of God, the cup of wrath that was about to be poured out on him because of our disobedience. 
And he asked him, but ultimately said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Church, that's something that we need to continue to grow in as believers. That the mark of a, of a growing, healthy, and wise man and woman of, of God is going to have mutual submission to where their way is not always the only way. Where they can go, okay, I can give my advice. I can, I can, I can really encourage some different route. But ultimately, it's not my way. It's our way. Not even our way. It's what Christ ultimately desires of us. And so worship, thankfulness, and mutual submission to close, that is what it looks like to walk as a wise child of God. To conclude this, I wanted to tell you all that we walk in wisdom not only to make ourselves smarter, right? Put, the, put, put away the ignorance of foolish people, right? We don't just do that to make ourselves seem smarter or uh, achieve greater things or get the recognition of other people either. We ultimately walk in wisdom because our Father in heaven wants us to imitate him in his suffering because these are hard, difficult things as well as acknowledge the understanding of who he is and who he's made us to be as believers. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for letting me bring the word of God. Thank you for making it so clear to us that we can, we can know more about you by just opening up some pages, God. It's your spoken word. Lord, I pray that we would walk as we, as we go out um, today, this last church service of the year, that we would walk in wisdom and light and love of what you've done for us and how you're continuing to sanctify and grow us each and every day. Lord, I pray that as we go into the new year, that Mercy Hill Church would be a space where people would see that light, love, and wisdom. And that they would go, wow, there's something different about these people that they would see your grace and they would, they would receive your mercy maybe for the first time. We love you, Lord. Amen.